You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. I was walking through the halls of a Minnesota rink When along came a wild fan who started talking smack to me He said, I bet you never liked the blues until they won a cup So I calmly turned to him and said, hey man, listen up I admit it's pretty great to win Lord Stanley's prize But listen, I've been waiting for this moment my whole life Yes, sir, I'm a blues fan. Yes, sir, I'm a blues fan. Heartbreak's all I knew, man. That team from old St. Lou, man. Got a cup in here, 52, man. Give me a let's go blues. I know Oshie, Backus, Berglund, J-Bo, Perron, Petro, Steiner, Allen, Tarasenko, Gunnarsson, Bennington, Edmund, Shen, Stastny, Elliott, Fabry, Shattenkirk, O'Reilly, Schwartz, Reeves, Yarrow, Barber, Shepparenko, Dunn, Langen, Bruner, Aportuzo, Kola, Yakubo. Yes, sir, I'm a blues fan. Yes, sir, I'm a blues fan. Heartbreak's all I knew, man. A team from old St. Lou, man. Got a cup in here, 52, man. So give me a we went blue. Hello and welcome to Blue Notes, based in the beautiful city of St. Louis, the best in the Midwest, better than all the rest. I am your host, Tom Franklin, and we are here to talk about blues hockey on the Hockey Podcast Network. And I'm joined on location uh, by my partner in crime, the man called Wags. Uh, How's it going, Wags? Oh, it's going great. We are uh, celebrating the first day of school tomorrow for um, nieces and nephews. So yeah, on location at the moment, so... If you hear stuff in the background, that, that's family members. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's quite all right. Uh, we're, we all are kind of a family here, you know, here in Blue Notes and the Hockey Podcast Network, so it's only fitting that we get the family vibes going on here. Um, most of our episode this, uh, this week will be a uh, conversation we had with St. Louis Post-Dispatch Blues beat writer Jim Thomas. He is back from Edmonton. And uh, the one thing that stood out to me, uh, Wags, when we talked to uh, Jim Thomas, we uh, recorded the other day with him, uh, he misses Edmonton. And I'm kind of surprised because I don't know if anyone's ever said that about Edmonton before. Yeah, I don't, I don't think the city is what he misses. He definitely missed the, the people that were in Edmonton. And, that, and then that, that just tells you right there how great Canada is, that you can be up in Edmonton and miss the people. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> For sure. So yeah, we'll, we'll have some fun with him about that, you know, kind of talk about what life in the bubble was like. And then we'll get into the business of the past week, you know, Doug Armstrong coming out saying that 20% of the team had COVID-19 and they, they had recovered by the time they started playing, obviously, but it takes a lot out of you. And that may have explained some performances. So we'll talk to JT about that. Talk about the future of Vladimir Tarasenko because it we just have to. And then we'll also talk about Colton Pareko and some trade rumors with Colton Pareko. In fact, we can actually talk about that right now because I have to talk about this poll that we did on our Twitter page at Blue Notes Pod. It's right up this finger here. There you go. Uh, Blue Notes Pod. You can find us there on Twitter. You can also find us on Facebook there as well. 
Uh, then that number up there is our Blue Notes fan line, 314-329-4349, 314-329-4349. Uh, leave a message and you'll be on a future episode of Blue Notes. Uh, but a lot of you decided to make your opinions heard via Twitter this week, and that's how we kind of set it up. So we had heard that the Toronto Maple Leafs had some interest in Colton Pareko. I don't think this is the first time they've come out and said or at least rumors that come out, rather, uh, that they wanted Colton Pareko. He is kind of that mythical right-handed defenseman that the team has lacked for a long time, and uh, they feel that he might be a perfect suitor. And when I say they, I mean the Toronto fan base and all the people that whip up these rumors into a frenzy. And um, there's a rumored deal going around. We'll talk about that, first of all. The rumored deal that I've heard that uh, Tom Ackerman at uh, KMOX, my colleague, has heard is Andreas Janssen, prospect Timothy Lilligren, who would be like a Pareko replacement, and the 15th overall pick for Colton Pareko. Now, I talked a little bit about this with our new Leafs hosts on the Hockey Podcast Network. Not another Leafs pod is what they are called and they are at least spot on Twitter if you want to check them out. I love the name, by the way, because there's probably a million Toronto Maple Leafs podcasts out there, and they found one that wasn't taken. So congrats to them. Um, but, you know, one thing that we were talking about, and they even did a uh, kind of like a offshoot poll of their own, is would who says no to a trade like that? Pareko for Janssen, Lilligren, and a first. And on his poll, he, uh, 76% of the people that responded on their polls said the Blues would, would be the ones that would say no to that. So that's interesting uh, point of view there. I agree, Wags. I don't think it's enough for a guy like Pareko. No, I don't think it's enough at all. I mean, I, I've always labeled him as untouchable. I mean, you've seen him grow so much year over year that you can only expect him to get even better and better because he's putting in the work. It would take a lot more, especially if Petro were to leave. Because if Petro were to leave, if he doesn't go to Toronto, you're not losing your top two defensemen in this offseason. That's just not going to happen. The only reason you would even consider it is if Petro were to stick around and you have to pay Pareko in the next couple of years anyway. So that's where it gets a little dicey and a little tricky. But, yeah, you, that, that, that's, a, that's a starting point for me. Uh, but you, you're going to have to offer a lot more if you're going to try and pull him away from us. Absolutely, and I'm with you on that. I mean, uh, one thing we talked about with Jim Thomas a little bit is the fact that the Blues forward prospect death is pretty much pretty barren once you get past Costin. Uh, I guess you can say Kairu's graduated now. Uh, you still have Torupchenko and, and a couple others, but like no one really big coming up the pipeline. So the thought would be maybe you acquire the 15th overall if Toronto's dangling it to, you know, maybe get that forward pause prospect and kind of, you know, because it's supposed to be a deep draft this year. So I'm, you know, that might be the possibility there, but I think Toronto would need to add something to the plate. Maybe they take Alex Steen or Tyler Bozak back, you know, to help with salary. Toronto does have a fair bit of money coming off the books this offseason. So uh, that's something that uh, uh, Ken Stapen, one of the hosts of uh, the Not Another Loose podcast, told me was that they have about like, they're going to have like an $11.5 million free this offseason. Wow. I did so, not know that. Yeah. So that's it. And then you, if, if you're giving up Janssen in a deal, I mean, they can take on a little bit of money here, um, but it, you know, it wouldn't be bad for them. So, but I still think they need to. Uh, improve the odds a little bit now before i heard that rumor i went on twitter at blue notes pod set up a poll and for me 
I feel if you're giving up a guy like Holden Pareko, a potential franchise cornerstone defenseman for years to come, you need more than just, you know, a few maybes. You need certainty, especially with Tarasenko injured. So I suggested William Nylander because he's probably the one of the four that A, would make the most sense, and B, the Leafs would actually move. You know, I don't think they're getting rid of Austin. I don't think they're getting rid of Tavares. I don't think they're getting rid of Marner. Um, but Nylander, and, and with that term, it's, it, it's, 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 a tra- it's kind of attractive. So I asked you, the fans, what you thought of that. 136 votes on this. this. This got some play. This got some play. Not bad for a, a an account like us where we're still trying to get our you know f- you know name out there. So here's the results. I mean, I had three selections. Twenty six and a half percent of you said yes. Thirty six percent said it depends on the other pieces involved in the trade because I don't think it'd be a one one for one with Nylander and Pareko. Although it wouldn't be that. I don't think that's that far off. Um, and then 37.5% of you said no. And that tells me that um, there's a lot of Pareko fans in St. Louis and a lot of uh, Blues fans that do not want to see Pareko playing on another uniform. And uh, that kind of verifies everything that I've kind of heard, you know, wags, you know, just about, you know, who Pareko is. People love the guy. He's a big guy. He's got a big shot. And, he, and, he's, and he's an overall nice guy. I think Craig Berube a couple months ago, Wax, said that, uh, you know, if you could let any Blues player date his daughter, it would, it would be Colton Pareko. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what he said. And <laughs> you, you look at what he did with, you know, with Layla Anderson and, and everything that he's done in the community as well, that he, he adds on to that. He is part of the Blues legacy. He's part of the community here in St. Louis that it just makes too much sense for the Blues to not keep him. I mean, he is the future of this team defensively. Whether or not they stick with Petrangelo or not, he is the next guy. And he's that blend of Pronger and McInnes to an extent that, you, like you said, he's kind of like a once-in-a-generation once talent that yeah. you don't need to give up on him. You don't need to get rid of him unless you're getting a massive, massive return. And, like you said, you're getting the guarantees versus a couple of draft picks that may or may not pan out. Absolutely. So uh, that's one reaction. There was a lot of reaction, a lot of comments being made. And I'll go and read off some of those here for you here. First of all, my friend Tim, the internal uh, Jake Allen hater, uh, oddly, uh, interestingly enough, Jake Allen's not involved in this one, but he says, quote, Falk would probably be even more hated if this trade went down. And to his point, you know, that would mean that a Justin Falk would have to play a higher role on this team because he's been kind of like the number six defenseman for them this year. He'd probably have to be that second pairing defenseman. So, um, you know, to his point, I mean, Wags, you know, Blues fans love a good whipping boy. And, you know, Falk in a higher role would definitely lead to some more lashes his way, I think. Yeah, he, it certainly would. And you look at how he played in the playoffs on that third pairing, essentially – that you know you don't want your nine million dollar player on the third defensive pairing, but it's where he fits right now on this team. And you could probably get him up there onto that second pairing and still produce the way he was doing. Uh, but yeah, if, if you ask him to go up there on that first pair, it, it, it's not going to go well. And if that's because Colton Pareko is not here, 
then yeah, he is going to be the whipping boy, and they absolutely love that here in St. Louis. <laughs> it, it, it's how we vent our anger. We 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 pick a player and we just you know you completely eviscerate the guy. Um, but moving on to some other comments here. First of all, uh, Ken Stapen from the not a, not another loose pod commented and said, "quote I don't think Nylander is on the block," which is fair I, I just threw him out there as speculation but doesn't mean management wouldn't listen to an offer with those two players as a centerpieces um and then he further responded quote true i think both gms would have a seat at the table to see if something could be arranged the vaunted top four rhd right-handed defenseman has long been the unicorn for the maple leafs organization and they would pay a pretty penny to lock him up especially of pareko's caliber End quote. And to his point, you know, you're looking at a guy like Alex Petrangelo who's going to command, you know, a Roman Yossi type of a deal, maybe a little less. Um, that's still that's that's a big chunk of change. Whereas Pareko at five and a half million might be a lot more attractive for Toronto Wags. Start yes, at this point in time, he that would be attractive. But you got to remember, you're going to have to sign him here very very soon. So either you're giving up a lot to have him for the next year or two, and then you're going to let him walk or you're giving up for the future. You know you're going to have to sign him to a long-term deal with a lot of money because if you're getting who you think you're getting, he's going to be one of the top defensemen in the league, so you're going to have to pay him like that. So it's one of those things you have to make that decision. Are you going to pay you know, $10, $11 million for a, a guarantee in Alex Petrangelo who's already won a cup and is one of the high, most highly touted defensemen in the, in the league right now? Or are you going to give up a ton for a guy that, while cost-controlled right now, may or may not pan out the way you want them because it is Toronto. I mean, guys go there and they sometimes falter. I mean, you look at John Tavares, he's solid now, but at the start wasn't so much. A lot of guys go to Toronto and kind of fall down a cliff and you, you're taking a risk either way. But uh, yeah, that's, that's going to be a tough decision for, for Toronto. And I think in the end, they're going to probably strike out on both. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, some other comments here. Uh, Vince Dunn Stan, as he's known as on Twitter, uh, says, I absolutely would, especially with the uncertainty around Tarasenko. I love Pareko, but Nylander is amazing. And then Matt uh, Matazix replies, Nylander is soft. He is not a Blues type player. Can't see them targeting him at all, especially at his salary. Interesting that he poo-poos Nylander for being soft when Pareko, I mean, as we just talked a lot about how he has a lot of support among the fan base, one thing that some of his detractors point out is that he's a little bit soft. You know, he's, he's gotten better in that regard. I think Jim Thomas will agree when we talk to him here in a little bit. But that is one part of his game. He's not a Chris Pronger. And I think that, for some reason, some fans have turned kind of against him for that reason, Wags. Yeah, and that's the thing, because he is such a big body that you would expect him to be a guy that would go out there and lay some hits down and be like Pronger, that nasty kind of rough him up kind of defender. But he's not. He's definitely a lot more finesse for a big man, which a lot of fans are like, why aren't you using your body? But for me, I mean, I've looked at it, and, and when the time is right, he'll put the hit on that he needs to, that he needs to put on. It's, it's just one of those things that he's maybe not doing it enough, maybe not clearing out the net as much as he probably could. Uh, but once again, like I said, he's improved year over year on different aspects of his game that if the coaching staff were to come and say, look, okay, you've got your shot now. You've got your defensive mindset, and it's been really, really good. Your plus minus is really good. Everything that we've told you to work on, you've worked on and improved. Well, the next step is figuring out how to leverage your body 
and be able to add that physicality to your game. So if, if that's how they approach it and they say, this is what you need to work on next, guarantee you in the next two years, he's going to be the, he's going to be the guy on that back end that you're like, Oh boy, you do not want to go into the corner with him. Yeah, definitely. And, and you're right. His, his game is evolving a lot. And, um, you know, not only that, but it's just, it's just like he, he's a guy that you see. It seems like that if you trade him away, he's a guy that kind of could haunt you for years to come whenever he does become a great player down the road. Uh, and I still think he can be. Uh, one final note on our poll and, and this trade idea actually comes from our friends at Habs Nightly. Uh, our Montreal Canadiens uh, podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network. And uh, I believe this was Mason Dixon that responded to us. Mason lives. Uh, no, he doesn't live anywhere near the Mason Dixon line here in the U.S. Uh, he actually lives up in Quebec, and he's a big uh, Canadiens fan. So this is a guy that would know, I think, about William Nylander and what he would offer if a hypothetical trade like that would happen. He says, quote, this is purely a gut feeling, not based on any analytics or facts, but I just get a vibe that Needlander could not live up to his hype elsewhere. If I'm the Blues, that trade just scares me, end quote. And I've kind of heard that about Nylander. Some people think that he is a kind of a product of the system up there, so maybe he wouldn't be the best fit. But then again, if you know, who knows? I mean, as we've, as we've kind of learned over the, over the past couple of years, Wags, especially watching this Blues team and watching like Shen and Schwartz, and then you, you have O'Reilly and Perron partner together, sometimes it just takes the right mix. Yeah, it, it does take the right mix. I'm just having trouble, just like he said, finding someone that he would be able to pair with that would utilize his skills in the way that they need to be utilized because this team down to a T, I mean, you're talking about everybody from the top line down, they play every aspect of the game. They hit, they shoot, they play defense, they do everything. Nylander is a guy that at least in what I've seen, he's not that kind of player. He's definitely the speed type guy. He's definitely the guy that's looking for the shot and that's about it. Now, granted, you can't have a whole team with the same player, but you at least have to have some sort of buy into that system. And, and I agree. I just don't think he would be able to buy in and fit into this system. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm still in the camp of just even if that's the offer, not going to happen. Yeah, that, that's definitely, definitely fair. And uh, one other person that has a comment on this is the Hawaii Blues fan guy. Uh, he made a couple of uh, Twitter responses here, but then he came to me and he's like, Tom, I want to make this my Aloha commentary this week because I want to talk about Pareko and I want to talk about what if Pareko uh, is the one that stays and Petrangelo leaves. So uh, some good insight here from the Hawaii Blues fan. Uh, let's go ahead and take it away. Aloha, Tom and Wags. This is Guy, the Hawaii Blues fan, host of the Blue Knot Fan Report, and this is my Aloha commentary. Well, as you know, I had to take a week off to mourn the Blues uh, not showing up at all in Edmonton. Um, you know, we'll talk about that at another time. What I want to talk about today is something interesting. And, you know, you guys kind of set the tone for this. You put out a tweet that said the Toronto Maple Leafs want Colton Pareko and are dangling William Nylander in front of you with maybe some other pieces. Do you do that trade? And I put a post out, I replied to it, and I said, if Petro leaves, uh, Pareko has the potential to be a Norris slash Hart level player for the next 8 to 10 years, and I wouldn't trade that. 
I got roasted a little bit. Well, I'm going to explain my point of view. First of all, Pareko has a shot that is no different than McGinnis's or Pronger's. And yes, Pronger in 2000 was the last defenseman to win them both. Pareko, at this moment, I don't think completely trusts his shot. We saw what his shot can do in game five or game six against Dallas. He damn near killed Ben Bishop. But that's the type of shot he has. He probably has one of the hardest shots in the league. And the only reason that we all don't know about it is he's never been an all-star to participate in the hardest shot contest. Once he starts trusting his shot, and if, or if Petrangelo leaves, that will make him the guy. He'll be the guy, and he hasn't been there yet. He's still young. If I remember correctly, he's right at 25, maybe 26. He has all of this star potential, and I think we've seen it. He's a class guy. He's got this aura about him. That the second he trusts his shot, get out of the way. He needs to let go of it more often. And he needs to learn something that McGinnis and Pronger learn. The boards are your friends. McGinnis, if he didn't have the shot, would fire it right towards the boards. Knowing it would come straight back out. Well, that scramble when it comes back out is what cleared the center of the net and gave room for someone to make a goal. This is the thing that Pareko hasn't learned yet, and I hope he does learn it soon. Next, Pareko is a big, big man. He is 6'5", six, 6'6". Six, six. He's huge. He's so huge, he's got a longer stick. Use that stick, my friend. Get it in the lanes. Use that big body. Hurt people. Get in there and be that guy. Be the leader. I think having Petrangelo out of the picture, having Tarashenko out of the picture, having some of the veterans possibly leave, Bomeister out of the picture, you, you see what I'm getting at? Now you're getting a younger core. And once you get a younger core, who's going to take over? To me, it has to be Pareko. Now, does that mean he's your captain? No. I think... Ryan O'Reilly should become your captain. There's no... With, with Tarashenko out, the, the debate is gone. Um, Ryan O'Reilly should be, and I think will be, the captain if Petrangelo leaves. And the uh, Pareko will almost undoubtedly be an assistant. He's got that type of player, and I don't think you give up on it yet. I really don't. I know what Nylander is, but does he fit in this group? And... You know, I don't know right now. The Blues have a lot of young defensemen uh, down in, in uh, I think I should say, out there in Providence now, now that we don't have San Antonio anymore. Frickin' Knights taking two, two, two of our uh, minor league affiliates. Can you freaking believe that? I don't know what they got against us, but they've been doing it to us. We have the opportunity to nurture some of these defensemen and some of our young forwards 
to get a little bit younger, get a little bit faster, still be heavy, but be a little bit faster. And I think that was something that showed up in the bubble. Now, uh, other things that showed up in the bubble were some um, lack of dedication and um, some piss poor coaching. But I won't get into that. Not here. I'm going to do a show. I'll probably put it out by Monday, just like your show is. So if you want to find out what I think about Doug Armstrong's comments, Coach Berube's comments, Bennington's comments, and others, please check out the Blue Note Fan Report on Monday. This is Guy, the Hawaii Blues fan, host of the Blue Note Fan Report, saying aloha, mahalo, and I'll see you on the next Aloha Commentary. Aloha! And yeah, uh, Guy the White Blues fan, thank you very much for that Aloha commentary. And a good point there about Pareko in that, you know, we're talking about how much he's growing as a player. And, you know, maybe a guy like him needs the opportunity to grow even further. And what better way to do that than taking the mantle if Petrangelo does leave Wags? Yeah, I mean, you get those veterans out of the out of the system with Petrangelo. You know, obviously, Bo Meester gone, no Tarasenko, like you said. And all of a sudden, he's essentially the elder statesman when it comes to longevity with the Blues. Yes, Falk is older than him, but Pareko's been with this team a lot longer. And to go from being the third or fourth guy on this team to being the man, especially on defense, could change a whole lot when it comes to Pareko's mindset. And yes, he, he, guy made a great point. Ryan O'Reilly will be the next captain if Petrangelo leaves, but Pareko is a guy that has a voice in the locker room, has the respect of his teammates, that being the number one defenseman, he's going to be listened to and he's going to have that respect, and that could just vault him even higher than he's already at now. Well, and remember, Petrangelo himself had to kind of grow into the sea a little bit himself. Yeah. You know, he wasn't anyone's idea of an ideal captain at the time he was named. And I think he was probably named it a year or two before maybe, you know, it was his quote unquote time. But he grew into it, you know, and I think Pareko could absolutely grow, not just, you know, on the ice, you know, and taking up, you know, more, you know, soaking up more of those minutes that Petrangelo had, but also being that leader in the locker room, as you said, because, you know, again, he's, he, he does, you know, even even in his personality, he's just a nice guy. You know, he's a friendly guy, guy you'd love to have a beer with. Um, but you know, maybe not quite the leader that like Petrangelo is. You know, there, there is a difference when you when you listen to Petrangelo speak like after a game versus when you hear Pareko speak after the game. You know, per, uh, Petrangelo definitely has kind of morphed into that leader. You know, kind of you know locker room general. You know, role. You know, over the years. Uh, could Pareko be that guy eventually? Well, well, first of all, he, as you pointed out, he may not have to because I think Ryan O'Reilly is going to step up into that role if Petrangelo does leave. And that's another question altogether. Does Petrangelo leave at all? I mean, it sounds like the Blues, you know, from what I, I heard, they may have made an offer this past week. Um, and it looks like that Doug Armstrong is eager to find some, as he quote calls, common ground, if you will. Um, I know Jeremy Rutherford in The Athletic kind of talked about Petrangelo and just kind of what it's going to take for him to come back. And it sounds like the Blues are kind of in one of two modes right now. And it all centers around Petrangelo. If they can find a deal with Petrangelo, then you're going to see some clearing out, you know, here to make room for him. You're going to see maybe like the boat, like your Bozaks or your Allens or someone cleared out to make money for him. But if not, then if, if Petrangelo walks, then the Blues don't really have to do much. You know, that's an interesting thing, you know, because that's, that's, 
and then you would have a Pareko kind of stepping up in that regard. But uh, I know we kind of talked a little bit about this before we started recording Wags, and you're kind of of the feeling that Petrangelo comes back. Yeah, I mean, just everything that I've been hearing and the comments that Petrangelo's made, it, it seems like, yeah, he's going to look and see what's out there. But because of the, the flat cap being here for the next couple of years, he may not want to go anywhere because he may not be able to get the offer that he's looking for. And, and we've talked in the past about him maybe even just doing a bridge deal a couple of years yep. uh, at a high AAV. Um, and, and that might be what keeps him around. And, and like you said, the Blues are in that mindset of, if we find a deal with him, we're going to find a deal with him and then figure out how to fit it in. That, right. That's the whole mindset. Don't, don't worry about how you get him under the cap until after you sign him. Because if they do that, if they make those trades and, and ship out like an Allen or a Bozak or a Steen, and then they still don't sign him, then all of a sudden, yes, you've got a lot of cap room, but you lost some guys, some key guys to this team that you didn't re-sign Petrangelo. So I like the mindset that they're going into it of let's find a deal. And if it's there, then we figure out how to fit it in. But uh, if, if they don't, then like you said, they've got what they've got. And maybe that leads them to going out there and finding another scorer that they could possibly add to this team. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm kind of in the position that I'm okay either way, because I'll understand if he leaves, you know, he wants to cash in, maybe some team will give that to him. I, I see maybe like Ottawa, maybe willing to give him that, you know, to make him kind of the franchise and maybe take some leaps forward up there. Um, although I think they still got a lot of work to do. Um, I don't know if Petrangelo, Petrangelo alone solves their issues up there. Uh, but also, you know, I, I, one thing I am kind of starting to kind of, uh, cool off on is the idea of a bridge deal. And only because, um, you know, Petrangelo's already 30. So you sign, say he signs a Bennington type of a deal where he signs a two-year deal. By the time he's done, he's going to be 32. Is he going to get that big money deal when he's 32? I, I, I don't think he, I, I think teams will probably be, you know, scared off of his age a little bit. It's kind of like this, this pandemic couldn't have come at a worse time for Petrangelo. And especially since, you know, you, you look at, you know, a guy that he's compared to all the time, Roman Yossi, Roman Yossi signed an extension during the season before any whiff of this, you know, COVID-19 thing was a, even a thing. And so he's locked in for a while. He's got a $9 million deal. Do you think maybe Petrangelo is kind of kicking himself a little bit because he didn't, you know, do what Yossi did and get locked up, you know, before, you know, the pandemic hit? I mean, I could say, yes, he, he's kicking himself. But once again, like you said, you couldn't see this coming. Um, and he definitely wanted to either get something done before the season or he was going to wait till after the season because he did not want to be a distraction to this team. Yes, we've talked about it. And, you know, he's been asked questions left and right about it. But it wasn't a major distraction because they clearly said, if it doesn't get done by the start of the season, then we're going to table it and come back later. And that's exactly what happened. So, yeah, he's probably kicking himself a little bit, but he also is one of those guys, I think, that, that understands the situation. You also got to remember, he's got triplets at home. His yeah. in-laws live here. They have a great relationship. His wife's from here. Um, the, leaving that would be difficult. And, I, and honestly, I think, and I know it's going to sound odd, but the whole bubble thing may have actually helped the Blues in a sense because it showed him that what it was like to be away from his family for an extended period of time. And if, that's, that, if his family doesn't move with him wherever he goes – He's going to have to deal with that. So that could have been a blessing in disguise when it comes to re-signing him because maybe he doesn't want to leave his family after that, and he may take a little less to stay with the Blues. 
Yeah, all fair points, all fair points here. But now we need to get some perspective and some insight here from an expert, the guy that has been following the St. Louis Blues all season long, a uh, veteran sports reporter, uh, Jim Thomas from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. Let's go ahead and uh, talk to him here before uh, but before then, we do want to let you know about some other podcasts we have here in the Hockey Podcast Network. Of course, the Europuck Podcast, we hyped it last week. We're going to hype it again because they just put out their first episode. And uh, if you've ever wanted to know anything about European hockey, this is going to be the place to go. And then also we're going to sh- give some love to our friends at the uh, New York Rangers podcast, the Broadway Boys podcast. Uh, check them out. And then uh, once we uh, get done with that, we'll talk to St. Louis Post-Dispatch beat writer, Jim Thomas. I'm James. And I'm Andy. And we host the Broadway Boys podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Every Monday, we talk New York Rangers, news from around the league, and all aspects of the hockey lifestyle. It's It's never been a better time to be a Rangers fan. So tune in and join us as we break down games, prospects, rumors, and more as we follow the Blue Shirts on their quest towards the Stanley Cup. Our takes are all our own. And not always legally binding. But you're not going to want to miss all the guests, rants, speculation, and the occasional overreaction. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Broadway Boys Pod and catch new episodes every Monday morning on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and more. And this one will last a so what are you waiting for? Subscribe, follow, and listen to the Broadway Boys Podcast today. And be sure to check out all the exciting content on the Hockey Podcast Network. Oh, baby! Hello, bonjour, hello, hey, hiya and previet hockey fans. Welcome to the Europuck podcast. The show where two blokes from Blighty talk about everything to do with European hockey as part of the Hockey Podcast Network. From the Russian KHL to the Swedish Hockey League, the Finnish Liga to the Swiss National League, the British Elite League to the Alps Hockey League, we talk about anything and everything European hockey. Catch out podcast every Friday from August the 28th, however you get your podcasts, and on the Europuck Podcast YouTube channel. The Europuck Podcast, giving you guys European hockey. Welcome back to Blue Notes, and at this time, I want to give a fond hello and welcome to the program, St. Louis Post-Dispatch, St. Louis Blues beat writer Jim Thomas, back from his journey from the Great White North in Edmonton, and uh, he is back in St. Louis, and he is on Blue Notes. Jim, uh, first of all, uh, welcome back to St. Louis, and uh, uh, it's great having you on. Hey, it's my pleasure. It's great to be on. I, I didn't think uh, we'd be talking about the end of a season this soon. You know, right. if I was gonna if I was gonna be in quarantine for fourteen lousy days, I wanted to be up there for a while. <laughs> but uh, here I am. I'm back. I 
I, I tell you, I packed three sweaters. I packed a hoodie because I had read that Edmonton gets a little bit of snow. It's not unusual to get snow in September up there. Sure. Never had to break them out. <laughs> I'll bet. I'll yeah. bet. And, and by the way, it's also the end of August. So, like, normally, wouldn't you be working on season previews right now? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was just telling my wife that uh, normally, you know, I normally I get a pretty big chunk of time off, uh, you know, after the season ends. And, and uh, normally I would be just be coming back to work now, usually about the, the third or last week of August to start the cycle of another season. But uh, as with just about everything in this world of ours right now, nothing is normal. Yeah, definitely, definitely so. And then, and I don't think you could describe the St. Louis Blues playoff experience in Edmonton as you know anything resembling normal. But we'll we'll get into the you know the the post mortem of that here in just a little bit. But first of all, you know I, you know when I heard that you were going up to Edmonton, you know as one of the few reporters that you know were allowed to go inside the bubble and cover the team. Um, you know, I was very interested in having you on just to tell me that experience. And I guess the first thing I want to say is. Describe your Edmonton experience in one word. In one word. If, 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 one there word. Is, if, there's a, if there's a way you can condense it into one word. Well, it's kind of the easy way out, but I would say strange. Fair, fair. Uh, so what, so what, what, so let, let's go in first of all. You, you mentioned right off the bat here you, had, you, you flew up there and you had to be in quarantine for 14 days. Um, how just how boring was that? Because I, I I assume you couldn't go anywhere from your hotel room, right? Hey, no, you weren't allowed to leave the hotel room, and and I took one foot out of the hotel room, but never during the fourteen days did I take even two feet out of the lobby. And originally, I thought, man, I'll be up there, uh, I'll I'll go down, I'll work out in the gym. Okay, I won't go outside. And I, I told my wife I wanted to go down to the Jim uh, and just you know and she just like yelled at me and she says do you want to get kicked out of Canada and actually <laughs> they were pretty serious now and, and again the way flying part of it is like Lambert isn't what it was 20 years ago in terms of flights but also just during this COVID uh, you know it's just hard to get around there I fly to Chicago then to Toronto and then over to Edmonton as I'm going from further east and further northeast I'm like why am I going in the wrong direction? But anyway, the customs in Toronto, it, one, it was borderline chaotic, but two, very, uh, the uh, uh, customs agent, uh, you know, she said, hey, we, very sternly, she said, we take COVID-19 very seriously. And, uh, you know, I had to bring what are called letters of support. I got one from the league, one from the post-dispatch saying, this is what I do. This is my job. I'm up here to do my job. I've been covering hockey for blah, blah, blah. I've been at the paper, blah, blah, blah. And uh, I, I go to Canada X amount of times. And, and so when she saw I was a sports writer, she said, well, you know, a lot of people are complaining. We have sports writers up here that can cover hockey. Why, why, why do you need to be up here? I said, well, I'm covering the blues. I'm, they're from St. Louis. And, and uh, she said, oh, okay. And then she said, uh, when's the last time they won the cup? And I said, uh, last year. So apparently I found the one person that was not a hockey fan in uh, in Canada so I actually spent the night in Toronto because customs was such a log jam and like I said semi-chaotic I didn't have the longest layover it was like an hour and a half and it took me about two hours to get through customs it was too late to get a hotel I didn't want to I didn't want to spend three hundred dollars uh, even Canadian money on a, on a hotel 
and be there for like six hours. And so I just slept in the airport. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't Kevin Costner. Who was it uh, that was in the Tom, Tom Hanks? Hanks. He in a movie Tom Hanks. Where he lived in an airport. So I had a little bit of that experience. <laughs> and then flew into Edmonton, left my cell phone in the uh, cab. The cab driver wanted a full fare. For, and then the Edmonton airport is out there a little bit. He wanted a full $55 to return my phone. I wrote uh, uh, blogs for the 14 days called the Quarantine Chronicles. And that was one of the uh, blogs about how he... Uh, he got, uh, and actually all I had at that time was $50 Canadian. So we settled on 50 Canadian, but yeah, quarantine was weird. Even the, the hotel general manager, she called me up like my second day there and said, okay, when are you here? That means you can get out here. She told me a little bit about the stuff and the combination, you know, that Edmonton area is big gas, uh, and uh, oil, you know, big energy area. And so that market's been depressed for about, oh, five years. So, you know, hurting the economy. Then you combine that with COVID and maybe they had 20% capacity in the hotel, which meant no hotel restaurant, no room service. So the old dog here had to learn how to use like Uber Eats and DoorDash, but they would come, they'd bring them to the front desk. The front desk would have one of the hotel employees bring it up to the room, knock, knock, knock. We're both masked up. Sometimes it would just be a knock and there'd be a bag, you know, like on the floor. And that, that was, that was basically it for uh, two weeks. But I got to know the hotel staff so well, first name basis, never happened before. Savvy at the front desk, Carlo, who, who uh, one of the engineers and maintenance guys, he would frequently deliver the stuff. Jumani uh, was the, uh, was the uh, uh, hotel GM. Jackie, they were, they were, they were fantastic. I, they, they became like family in my 37 days there. And, uh, I kind of hated to, I kind of hated to, to leave them. And they were, they were kind of sad when I left. They were, I, you know, I don't want to tear up here, you know, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, so kind of bonded. A little bit of Stockholm syndrome, I guess. I guess I never saw the movie. I guess I should have, but yeah, <laughs> I'll take your word for it. Was that a movie? No, it was I, a movie, right? No, yeah, it's an expression. No, it was uh, it was the the wasn't it the girl who the the famous celeb that was kidnapped and then she became a part of the kidnapping the group. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think that well, has something to do with it. Extreme, but we we they, they treated me like a prince, partly because maybe there were like just six people staying in the hotel, and uh, like I said, we uh, we kind of bonded. The the blues actually from time to time have stayed up there in the past. So I've been in that hotel. It was a Westin, but now there's the, a new JW Marriott, which is like right next to Rogers place. And there's like, you know, walk, there's walkways all over many of the Canadian cities because of the winters. And, uh, that, that was the, uh, the blues bubble hotel along with several other teams at JW Marriott, but uh, they have stayed in the Westin before. So who knows, maybe well, I'll see him again. Yeah, good. I mean, and according to the great, um, you know, bashing of truth that is Wikipedia, Stockholm Syndrome, the term, was first used by the media in 1973 when four hostages were taken during a bank robbery in Stockholm, Sweden. So, okay. I, I don't, I, so I guess you can't really quite compare, you know, a hockey in a bubble to a bank robbery, but, uh, you know, here we are. Here we are. It's strange. <laughs> There's a little bit of a reach, Tom, but that's okay. I get the I get the general I get the general gist of what you were trying to say. Yeah. It, it was such a reach. I may need so, shoulder surgery myself on that. Actually, <laughs> oh no, oh wow, yeah. Yeah, too I, soon, I, Tom, too soon. Yeah, I, I'll reevaluate that in five months. Um, 
so let's let's you know so so you're in Edmonton and then you you get to go to the games. So you're one of the few non-NHL people that get to go inside the arena and actually see the games. You're not actually a metal fan that they showed in the stands, you know, the four fans, quote-unquote, which I thought was very hilarious. But you had some fun with it. I was, I was impressed. I really liked the, you know, from, from, a, from a home viewer perspective, I really liked the presentation of, you know, of, of what, just, just the, the screens, the, the, the jabs at themselves, you know, like during the five-overtime game, you know, for instance, yep. whoever was operating the scoreboard was just you know having an absolute night of his life um but you know from they did what they did what they could with it like the uh the first night i was there it's like late in the third period they said tonight's attendance and then they put on the video board too but they also the pa announcer zero (laughs) you know and and all kinds of touches like that yeah like after one game they said please uh please get off your couch safely and thanks for watching stuff like that you know where they would normally say please drive home safely so they tried to have a little fun with it. it really but, uh, yeah, so uh, in the Edmonton bubble, there was the Minneapolis Star Tribune, Sarah McClellan, uh, Colorado Hockey Now, which is a blog only. I God, I forget the gentleman's name, but he had covered the Avalanche for years for, like, the Denver Post or the Rocky Mountain News and then started this blog. And then over in the Toronto Hub, there was Samantha Pell of the Washington Post who covers the Capitals. And – those were the only U.S. writers in Canada. Now, the New York Times had someone in Edmonton, but I, I, I wonder, I, I'm kind of thinking maybe it was someone that lived in Canada and worked for the New York Times. Now, there were a few other, like with Calgary was there. Remember, uh, Winnipeg was there for, for a little bit. Vancouver, there were some Canadian writers, but they didn't have to quarantine. And just as I was leaving, about to leave, right, right when the Blues got eliminated, uh, Matthew DeFranks, who, who covers the uh, stars for the Dallas Morning News, he sent me a, a, a direct message on Twitter, just, hey, what is it like to get in there? We're, we're trying to get up there just in case they get into the, uh, uh, you know, get into the finals. He was just, and he wanted to know what, if, if I had any advice or, or any tips. And, and I'm like, my, my goodness, uh, what, what if you get up there and you're, you're like in day 13 of your quarantine and, oh, the stars are, the stars are knocked out, but. Heck, maybe maybe they got a chance to go now. They're up, they're up two to one. They almost won that game uh, last night. But anyway, poor Sarah she, McClellan of the Star Tribune, the Minnesota Wild. What? They were barely there a week, so she's there 14 days in quarantine. They're in that qualifying series. And they got knocked out by Vancouver. What was it? Four games. Yeah. So she's going quick. Samantha Pell didn't come up. I think she missed the round robin in Toronto you know, in, in, in terms of when she came up there and started her quarantine and they get knocked out in the first. So she wasn't up there long And the, as the blues are down uh, two to nothing and then three to two in the series, my friend from uh, Colorado hockey. Now he, he kept saying, please, you got to win. I don't want to be here by your, by myself. You know, uh, you got to keep me company. And because there were, there was just like nobody in the press box in, I don't know, a hundred feet, 150 feet of press box. It was just me and him, and we would only bump into each other. Obviously, the the Blues played the Avalanche in the round robin, but, you know, there would be occasion where they'd play the game before the Blues. They never played the game after because we we know it was like written. I think it was the 11th commandment. St. Louis must have the late game, right? But I I saw him sometimes before, and uh, so now he's up there uh, 
carrying the mantle of uh, uh, of U.S. Uh, sports writing. Oh, you gotta love it! Yeah, we we lamented those start times every single day. Frequently, uh, frequently. <laughs> so, what was it like watching playoff hockey with no fans? Uh, the audio visual experience had to be wildly different than what it was. I mean, we saw it on TV. I likened it to like the Winter Classic, where you can't see the fans there anyway, but you can hear them. And that's what it felt like to me. But what was it like being there and not having fans? Well, basically all the stuff that I think you heard on TV back in St. Louis, we saw like the, you know, they would have uh, uh, the local uh, uh, national anthem singers from the blues and tall man. We could see him up on the, uh, on the scoreboard and uh, Jeremy Boyer, you know, the organist at enterprise and, and some of the, the blues, uh, the blues centric uh, cheers. Uh, it was strange kind of being in a press box with nobody else. It was also strange when there were TV breaks or between periods or after games, it got just so, so quiet in there and they would play this soft soothing music and the blues had the late games anyway, but between periods, you know, maybe it's, 10.30 mountain time, it felt like it was three in the morning just because it's so quiet. There's nobody there, and they're just playing this soft, mellow music. You know, you wanted to get the toothpicks out for the uh, for the eyelids. And then occasionally on the ice, I mean, you could hear everything. I mean, the uh, just so clear, you know, the, the sticks tapping when, you know, somebody blocked a shot or, or made a hit. Uh, the uh, uh, Just some of the, the, the players yelling out instructions uh, to each other, like, you know, uh, hey, hey, when, when somebody is open, uh, or go, 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 when they got the puck and, and started a rush. And, of course, there were quite a few F-bombs uh, dropped uh, all over the place that, that you could hear uh, pretty that loud. never happens in hockey. Never. What's that? That never yeah, happens I'm, in uh, hockey. I'm glad that – I don't know if uh, – was Baruby ever mic'd up, uh, guys? Or I don't think know? so. But I, I mean, because I it had a five-second delay, I think. Yeah, What's I think, that? I think every other word you know for Baruby during a game is an f bomb. So you know that's you yeah, know, that's, that's yeah. risky. That's very risky to yeah. do. So yeah, it was. Uh, it, and it was kind of fun. You it, you really felt like you you could focus in more because there was nothing to distract you in terms of the fans. Are your sports writer friends just bugging you like every three? Can you believe this play or blah 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 or looking at something totally random on the, you know, oh my God, uh, Flaherty gave up three home runs tonight or, or whatever, <laughs> you know? So you didn't have that. So you could really lock in on the games. But uh, like I said, uh, whenever play stopped, because, you know, in between periods at Enterprise or any place, they, they have the hype man come out or the ice crew or whatever. They had, they had none of that. It was just like uh, uh, deathly silent. And so it, I, I'm glad we got to do it. I, 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 I'm grateful that the company uh, uh, wanted to do it. I was hoping as the number of teams got smaller and smaller that maybe they'd, they'd let us in and watch the uh, morning skates, but I, I didn't stay around long enough to see if that would happen. Yeah, that's unfortunate. But I, I will say you were talking about hearing like the players, you know, chatter on the ice and, you know, calling out plays and stuff like that. That was really interesting for a, as a home viewer watching it because it's something that, often gets drowned out by fan noise. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, so, yeah. So, 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 you, so it's like a whole different 
game you're you're watching you know just the audio experience just is so different because you're actually hearing the emotion out of the players and you know that kind of leads me into my next question here and that is you know just watching all these you know playoff games not just the blues but just in general you know it, it feels like the games are still very competitive you know i don't think the mm-hmm. level of hockey necessarily is you know dropped off per se but do you think that the lack of fans and the lack of that fan hype atmosphere you know even as a, even if you're a road team getting booed you know, normally, in- instead you're just hearing silence. You know, it, do you think that affected the gameplay at all? I kind of think it did in the Blues case. I'm not saying it did for all the teams, but you kind of, without the fans, you have to kind of self-motivate. And I don't know if the the Blues did that. You know, Bennington feeds off it either way. Uh, in, in Winnipeg, I'll never forget the, my first playoff game as a writer, the game one of Winnington uh, of, in Winnipeg. Uh, you know, they have the white out, they're booing every time uh, 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 he touches the puck. Uh, he gets knocked over by Shifley, like, behind, you know, he's Bennington's doing a little housekeeping behind the net. He gets run over by Sh- uh, Shifley like 30 seconds into the game, and he, and he fed, feeds off that. He doesn't mind being the villain. And a lot of the Blues players said that they, they including Bennington, that they really, really miss the home fans and maybe – uh, it made them realize more than ever just how important the, uh, uh, the, the the fans are. And there are some people, and I'm trying to think, I don't even think maybe a, uh, a Vancouver player didn't really deny it, that maybe if this series is played in front of fans, home and away, that maybe the Blues won, would win. You know, just imagine, okay, it's, it's game five, uh, the Blues uh, – that was a uh, yeah. That was was that a home game? No, that was an away game. Well, never mind. It wouldn't yeah. apply. I was going to say game five. The crowd's cheering, but uh, an inexperienced team like the Canucks, maybe they would have been affected more by the crowd. I don't know, but it yeah. I they, as we know, it's it's one of the themes of these playoffs. And Perron talked about it, but Ruby didn't deny it. I mean, they, they the the energy level, the buy-in, the being fully invested for whatever reason, it wasn't always there. Uh, at least all the time among the uh, among the Blues, and and that's you, you kind of touched up on something about Bennington because he even just to the casual observer you can kind of tell that he does enjoy that crowd energy. I think he even enjoys playing on the road and you know kind of being the villain in some places. Oh, yeah, um, you know, so I mean, he definitely seems like a guy that maybe you know, that affected him more than others. And that kind of, you know, leads me into, you know, just Biddington's struggles in general. You know, like, you know, he had a very rough return to play. Do you think it was crowd noise? Or do you think there's something else going on with Biddington that, that maybe we didn't see or know about? If there's something else going on with him, I'm, I'm not aware of it. But I think partly it was uh, crowd noise. He, uh, uh, he didn't give a whole lot of interviews up there. I, I think I mentioned I wrote about Biddington, uh, was that for uh, – this morning's paper or that, no, it was the, the, the day before that uh, uh, he, uh, he hadn't given an interview since like in like three weeks, since right after the round Robin Colorado. So that was weird with Bennington. He also said though, very early on that uh, after it might've been after the Colorado round Robin, that he felt like he was in a video game playing on the ice, which is probably not the proper mental framework, Right down to, I think, EA Sports, those kind of fake crowd noises, like the anticipation of a shot that might go in, that was all from EA Sports, from their catalog of, of, of crowd noises. And, and he also said, this will, I guess, is a little key into his mental state, that he could paint a picture of what 
the outside of his window look like? You know, just looking out the window, it's so, you know, because cause it was pretty dull up there. They, they kept them on lockdown uh, pretty much, you know, in, in terms of uh, uh, leaving the, uh, uh, the bubble area. So that might have gotten into him. Now, the first four periods, he was tremendous. You know, he was very, very good against Colorado. And then the first period against Vegas, I thought he was spectacular. I thought he was game seven, TD Garden versus Boston spectacular. And then, and, and that was, that was the, the second round robin against Vegas. Then he gives up six goals in three periods, and it was just downhill from there. But he, he started out, I think, good enough against Vancouver. And then it's, it's, it's two to two in game one. Uh, Schwartz tied the game. In the second period, they go in the third period. In the first five minutes, the Blues are just skating circles around Vancouver. They've got all the momentum. And I'm thinking to myself, Vancouver's going to crack. The, 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 the Blues have this game. And then Troy Stetcher, who's like a defenseman who had scored like 11 goals in 286 regular season game. It's a routine shot. One that, you know, maybe even – those of us here could stop at least half the time and it goes in and everything seemed to change after that. He, he lost his confidence. He wasn't as aggressive coming out of the net. And, and uh, uh, I, I don't want to say that the guy that is never nervous was nervous, but again, he, he, he didn't look confident. And I don't, I give, I give Baruby a mulligan for coming back in game six, one, because Baruby's batting average on decisions is, is pretty darn good. Uh, I think he had to go back to, to, to Bennington, but you could tell early on, not just for him, but for the entire team, it just wasn't there. Yeah, most definitely. And it's almost like you can, you got to play Bennington with a crowd and Allen without a crowd. And if you got that perfect mix, you got a great <laughs> goaltending to a tandem right there. Uh, let's move on to, to post bubble. Now, Doug Armstrong came out this week and said that 20% of the team had COVID-19 and that it affected the play on the ice. Do, do you feel that that was a factor for the play overall, or is that kind of an excuse? I wouldn't put it in the, the excuse. Now, we, when, when I uh, uh, tweeted that out right after he said, a lot of people thought, like, wait a minute, this isn't news. We knew this back in July, and, and I'm here to say, yeah, July the 5th, we had a story in the Post-Dispatch saying that four players and one assistant coach had tested positive, and so – he said 20% of our regular roster. So it's like, okay, if you're, if you're talking about a 20 man roster, that 20% of that would be four players. If you're talking about a 25 roster, which is kind of their regular roster at the end, you know, when you could have a, a few others after the trade deadline, that would be five. I believe there, there was four as we reported. And I think Vince Dunn was the fifth one after that story came out, but you look at Pareko. He looked very thin to me during the whole series. I thought, man, he's lost some weight. And he was one of the guys that we all thought had uh, uh, COVID. Now, my source did not name players. But, you know, Pareko all of a sudden wasn't there for day one. And he might have been one of the original group. When you talk about July 5th, when we reported that, if he had to go 10 days plus whatever it is, at least two days of positive tests. I forget what the exact protocol was for phase three. I would bump you right up to the start of phase three and he missed the, the, uh, uh, the first day and done to me, uh, seeing him 
on the Zoom calls and uh, also just on the ice, occasionally putting the binoculars on them. Yes, I brought binoculars up there uh, since we were so high up. Old eyes here. But anyway, uh, he just, he didn't look thin, but he, he didn't look right to me. Now, again, this is a little, maybe we're overconnecting the dots, but I think a lot of people would agree on defense that Pareko and Dunn were two players that didn't, didn't play all that great. Now Pareko did have the two goals. What was it in the Vegas game? But as the thing went on, he just, it didn't look like the same old Pareko. He, he didn't seem like he was moving as well, skating as well. And again, he looked like, so I don't think it was an excuse. And to me, that was the noteworthy thing of what uh, Armstrong said about the COVID-19 one. It was official confirmation for the first time by the club that indeed four or five players had had the COVID or tested positive for the COVID. But even way beyond that was the fact that none of them were asymptomatic. He said they all had symptoms and uh, some lost a lot of weight, but some affected them in, in different ways. And so I wouldn't call that an excuse. I mean, there, there were a couple players that I, I, I think pretty that weren't quite right. That doesn't excuse the whole thing, the whole team's play up there. But, you know, it, 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 it does make you wonder a little bit. And that's the reality of it is hockey players will play through anything. And we've seen much, much worse. Uh, and I, that leads perfectly into our next question is this is on everybody's minds, blues fans and, and otherwise, what the heck happened up there? Uh, to me, they looked unprepared, but what was your impression of the team up there? You know, when we're still in St. Louis and I was only up for the first week of practice, in St. Louis. And so, and then I had to head up to start the quarantine, but I, I watched the scrimmages, uh, you know, on, uh, uh, streamed on my, on my laptop. But, uh, the whole talk was we're going to, we're going to use like the round Robin games to ramp up winning them. Isn't necessarily the end all, because I think we all agree one, what does seating mean? Because there's no home ice advantage. There's no fans. There's no travel involved. Okay. The home team gets the last line change, but that's, you know, in a seven game series, that's, that's pretty uh, minimal. And the blues, as we saw, never got to a seven game series. And plus the teams are all so even, you know, that what, what, what does it matter who you're playing? Obviously maybe some matchups are better than others. When it was Vancouver, I knew just from the, the regular season games that this wasn't a great matchup for the blues, the three regular season games, Vancouver won in a shootout. The Blues won in overtime, and then Vancouver won in what essentially was a one-goal game. It was three to one, but the last goal was a uh, uh, empty netter. So paper-thin difference between the team. So, you, but anyway, it didn't seem like they took the round. Right, and Ruby said it. We weren't fully invested. And again, it wasn't so much that you had to win the games, but yeah, you, you've been off for four and a half months. You've got to use this, these games to get ready. Uh, to, to ramp up, to gain some momentum. And it didn't seem like they took those games seriously enough. And I, I likened it to, you know, a lot of these teams, maybe the fast skating teams, the Calgary's or whatever, they're like a Ferrari, just the shifty and, and, and fast. The Blues are more like a Humvee. They're big, they're powerful, direct, physical. And, and uh, it might take the Blues a little longer to get going. So I think that was the first seed. I don't think they put enough into, and again, but Ruby said the same thing into the round robin. I don't think they were really on their game until like game two against Vancouver. And then by then they're down 
two games is nothing, and you can be on your game and still lose, right? So right. I just think that was uh, – I think that was part of it. And we, we talk about the energy level. Uh, the, the, a couple guys slowed by, you know, uh, because of COVID. And uh, also the fact that both Baruby and Doug Armstrong said the everyone's conditioning level wasn't great. And, again, there are ameliorating factors like, okay, you, you don't – you don't have access to, to maybe the gyms during the pandemic, especially earlier uh, than you should. And, and the, uh, the time off, the pause for the players was kind of, it was kind of your half in, your half out, kind of in limbo because you can't really kick back and relax like you would because, you know, there's a season coming at some point. But do you really want to kick it up in terms of training, not knowing exactly when the playoffs are? So I think – all those factors played into it, you know, for Perron to say, yeah, some of our guys didn't have enough energy. That was really telling. And my thought on this was, you know, if we know it's tough here up there in a pandemic, a lot of these guys had young kids, three or four of them either were about to have a baby, Ivan Barbashev, or had just become uh, fathers again, uh, Gunnarsson and Bozak, uh, come to mind and it's tough up there. You're away from your, I, I get all that, but you know, and Armstrong and Baruby both said it. One, this is your job. Two, you get paid, well paid to do your job. And three, if you really had issues with it, you're allowed to opt out. Now, maybe in the court of public opinion, if you opted out, uh, fans would be mad at you or whatever, but you were allowed to opt out without any financial penalties by the NHL. They understand, hey, this is a pandemic. I mean, you, you could die up here. So it was, uh, it was just, I don't know. It just, it just didn't seem like the, the momentum, the motivation was there as much as it, uh, as we'd hoped for, which is to me, again, even all these factors considered you're defending champs, yeah. you know, that should have been motivation enough. Exactly. And, you know, I, you know, my only thought about, you know, you know, talking about like opting out, I don't think any blue sand would have uh, begrudged Barbashev if he, opted out because you know i mean this is his you know first kid and you know you know there is the thought that you know you you get out of the bubble you have this big life event that happens during it you know maybe you're not focused on the game you know maybe you want to focus on your on your on your child so that's i don't think a lot of blues fans would have you know begrudged barbershop if he if he stayed out um but I want to I want to kind of get into you know transition into kind of like the elephant in the room here so you know you you mentioned players not being in your game oh. You mentioned you mentioned players not being on their game. Wags Wags mentioned that you know uh, you know players like to play through injuries, so we gotta talk about Vlad Vladimir Tarasenko. He's gonna go under the knife for the third time on his shoulder that is apparently made of glass. Um, is you know and and shoulder issues have derailed quite a few NHL careers. Wayne Babich comes to mind off the top of my head. Um, so that's a great that's a great one, yeah, and that's before. Shoulder surgery was as advanced as it is now. Yeah, and I think Babbage was a rotator cuff, but still, it's, it's you know, related. And so, you know, how worried should we be, based on what we know about Tarasenko's injury and what the Blues have said, how worried should we be about his ability to come back and be the Tarasenko that we know? And just based on what you're hearing, how worried is the team? I think the team is worried, and I think we should all be very worried. I mean, I know a little bit about shoulder injuries, uh, from one of my sons and shoulder surgeries and, and, uh, uh, 
I've talked to a doctor that does a lot, has probably done hundreds of shoulder surgery over his uh, professional career. And uh, I won't reveal his name because we were just talking. It wasn't an interview, but also has done a lot of pro athletes. And he just said, hey, the shoulders, the more you dislocate it, the more you're likely to dislocate it again. And he said the ligaments and tendons in there, once they get stretched out, it's very hard to tighten them up. You know, it's just a different kind of joint uh, in the uh, in the body. So I wrote a story. If you go back and look in our archives at stltoday.com uh, and, and just type Jim Thomas Tarasenko chronic shoulder, I, the day after his second surgery, I wrote a story posing the question, this could be a chronic injury. And so now he has it a third time. And, uh, you know, Vladdy said all the right things on Instagram. He said it looks like they finally – uh, kind of determine what the exact problem was, but you know, shoulders are, are tricky and we're talking three surgeries now and it shows you what we all know. Again, I, I watched just the, the one week. He looked great in camp. He looked great at Centene, but there's no contact. There's not the stress on your body of playing in a game, even, if, but the, the puck was, it was jumping off a stick. He, he had his shot back. He was moving around, but he said, on Instagram that it was probably even bothering him then. So yeah, I think it's a big concern and he has three years left on his contract. You wish the best for him. I hope he does come back. I hope surgery uh, does fix it and maybe it does, but I think fans have every reason to be really concerned about this. And I, yeah, the blues are concerned about it. And a lot of blue blues fans, myself included, thinking that maybe Tarasenko goes on long-term IR and it frees up that seven and a half million. And maybe that can be applied to Petrangelo, but for the record, how does LTIR work? And is that a realistic scenario? Well, I'm far from the expert on this. I'm kind of still kind of a newbie here learning as I go along, but Armstrong said that at the start of the season, you, in order to put him on LTIR, you have to be seven and a half million under the cap, which is his, his base salary or his cap hit for this year. So they, they can't, and again, they're looking at all the angles, uh, trying to see how they can make it work, but it doesn't look like that'll work. Now, they could do it at the end of the season. I think, uh, what, is it once the regular season ends or is it after the trade deadline, there's kind of a loophole. Uh, the, the, the yeah, Black it's like somewhere the last couple of weeks is Chicago with did. Patrick King, with yeah. Patrick Kane, last couple of years. But at the start of the season, no, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're stuck with that money. And, and, I, I just like right before we started the podcast, I was kind of the, my Sunday, my la- kind of the season ender story is, is, is that this off seasons in those few weeks up in the Edmonton, it got a lot more complicated for the blues before it was just Petro. Okay. What do we do? Uh, who do, who has to walk the plank if he signs, but then you add Tarasenko. Oh my gosh, are we going to have enough scoring? How, what can we do to replace this? And then also, uh, Bennington. I mean, one of the things that we all presumed, I think we all looked at three names as possible guys that m- might go, however they were moved, uh, to make room for Petro. And it would have to be two out of, two out of three. And you have Alex Steen at $5.75 million, uh, Tyler Bozak at $5 million, and Jake Allen at, at uh, $4.35 million, all three of which have one year left on their contract, 
Well, now if you're thinking, and again, it's just three and a half games, but it was three and a half bad games for Bennington, 19 goals in, in his last three and a half games up there. Do you really just want to go into a season with Bennington and Ville Husso? And keep in mind, the farm system is kind of drained behind Husso. We thought Evan Fitzpatrick would be next in line, but I don't know. He had some injury problems. I think he struggled to the point where he was in the ECHL for a while last year. Hofer is a bright young prospect, but I believe he's 19. He's still a couple years away. And so, uh, again, Armstrong and Berube said all the right things. They have faith in Bennington and so on and so forth. But should the, should the Blues be that? Should they be that quick to, to get rid of Allen? I mean, and, and I, I think of, of those three players that we mentioned, Steen, Bozak, and Allen, Allen has some trade value. I mean, he's got a good body of work in his career. Uh, is he a franchise goalie? Well, no, probably not. But he had great numbers this year. He played pretty well. Pretty, You know, I mean, okay, what was it? Game five was so-so. But he played really well in games three and four. So I think there would be trade interest uh, in him. But, 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 again, I think the Blues have to at least think about that situation. And, and, and of course, there's the whole Petro issue. So, you know, say the Blues decide they, they, they're going to keep Jake Allen for next season because, you know, there's they're the insurance question. Of course, he's a free agent after next season as well, so you may still be just looking at one more year of him, and maybe it's unrealistic that he resigns, especially if he has a strong season. So, right. you know, we're, we're looking But it gives at, you another year to see what Bennington is. Yeah, exactly, and, that, and that's fair. And, and that short-term deal for Bennington, by the way, on hindsight – looking kind of smart at this point, you know, from, from the blues end. But, um, you know, so, so say you keep Allen, you still got to make room, you know, if you want to resign Petrangelo, you're not going to, you know, as, as we established here, you're, you know, Tarasenko is still going to be on the books regardless, at least, you know, for the start of the year. So you got Alex Steen who has a no trade, you have, um, I mean, Bozak doesn't have one. He's, he's free to go. He's got a modified uh, 10 teams. Uh, yeah. Modified 10 teams. So, um, what are the, I mean, what are the chances the blues get rid of an Alex Dean and, and how, how do they do that when the cap is locked in for everyone? Everyone is, you know, it fe- feels like a, they're very tied to the cap. So how, how do the blues make these moves when all other teams are also tied up to the cap as well? Well, yeah, it becomes tougher there. I, you know, if you put the true sermon and, and Steam's done great things, even now, I mean, he can be gruff a little bit with the media, but I respect him a lot, his leadership, kind of his mentorship to the younger players, how he accepted without complaint going from a top six guy down to the fourth line during the, the uh, cup year. But, uh, you know, if you put the true sermon in the, in the blues, maybe they were hoping Alexander Steen said at age, uh, what is he, 36? He'll be age 37 before the end of next season. It says, it's been a great run. I got a cup. I got a thousandth game. I'm retiring. Well, he told us, the other day on the Zoom call, what was it, Monday, that, no, he's not retiring. He wants to come back. So what do you do for a uh, 36-year-old guy who, who who's making $5.7 million? There's not going to be a trade market for him. Uh, the buyout, again, I'm, I'm not exactly sure on the math, but because he's over a certain age, I, I think it's only a third of that you yep. can recoup. So that's not that's not going to be – enough to, to get it going. Do you, you, you pull a little bit of a fast one and say, let's just say whatever his injury was this year. And he didn't specify, let's just say it's a hip injury. You get the next season, you're losing. No, that, that hip isn't good, Alex. We're, we're going to have to, 
we're going to have to put you on uh, on injured reserve, you know, and maybe that uh, maybe that uh, frees up the uh, uh, the money. The other thing is, you, and we've seen this happen a couple times where the uh, teams will kind of pay to take someone uh, for another team to take them off their their hands. Now, let's just say. Uh, and, and there's still, even in the, the uh, flat cap, uh, pandemic uh, cap era here, there's still some teams that have, have pretty good uh, uh, cap space. What if you tell, like Colorado is at like $57 million, I think. Uh, what if you tell Colorado, how about we trade your Alexander Steen, we keep a million of his salary, and uh, we throw in a, as a third-round draft pick enough or a second-round draft pick enough. And uh, that, that would get you started. You know, you could, maybe you could do something like that. Bozak, I, you know, he's still a valuable player. You know, he's not a guy that's going to score 20 or 25 goals, but he does a lot of things well. I think, you know, and he's a little bit younger. He's like two years longer. I think he'd have a little bit of a trade value. But again, $5 million is a lot. Remember, the Blues didn't know, and it happened on the same day, when they, when they signed Bozak, they – the O'Reilly at that time of day, the O'Reilly trade talks were dead. And it was like, you know, six hours later, it's yep. so they overpaid for him, but th- that's all right. They needed a, they, they needed a center. Uh, so, you know, maybe, maybe you could do something like that with uh, Bozak. Again, I, I think the, it's a dangerous game to play, but uh, because I think the blues are at the stage now where they kind of need to restock their, their farm system a little bit, but yeah. uh, you know, maybe you give up draft picks because I sure don't think you, you want to get rid of Schwartz or, or Perron. The funny thing is, guys, is the cap picture's really good next year. They have $47 million committed to their cap after next year, and and, and he, these are their unrestricteds. Uh, Gunnarsson, well, he's only $1.75 million, and you've got guys like, even if you don't want them back, you've got guys like Perunovic and Mikola just, you know, they're knocking on the door to get in. You've got Bennington and Allen. And one of those two is going to be back, right? And then you have Bozak and Bozak and Steen. While their contracts are up, you're probably going to say, "Thanks a lot, guys." And you know, here, here's here's a door prize. So they 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 don't have a lot of cap issues, uh, and and they should have you know pr- pretty good cap room after next year. But timing is everything, and the, the timing is just not not quite there this year. Well, we, we recently had Gabriel Foley on our podcast. He's a young writer for Last Word on Hockey as well as St. Louis Game Time. And we, we, were, we were talking about the, you know, freeing up the money for Petro's situation. And one thing that he kind of suggested was maybe, you, you know, in order to get rid of an Alex Steen, maybe you package him with a Vince Dunn, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and say, hey, you know, we'll, you can have Vince Dunn. It won't cost you as much, but you got to take Alex Steen. You know, that kind of, that sort of deal. And, mm-hmm. you know, you mentioned Mikola Perunovic coming up as well. And Dunn had some struggles, you know, during the Vancouver series. He's a restricted free agent. Uh, money's tight. Do you think there's a chance that Dunn leaves? And, you know, may, and does he leave maybe in that kind of a scenario? Well, if they get Petrangelo back, I could kind of see it. Even though Dunn struggled, I, I like him a lot. And for a guy who's your fifth defenseman, that's a hell of a fifth defenseman. And I think he got better as a season one. He, he, in terms of occasionally he'd have trouble getting the puck out of it. He got a lot better at that. But, yeah, he, it was a step back, no doubt, in the Vancouver series. And maybe that's largely due to, to COVID. I don't know. The thing with Dunn, though, is you have to have him under contract to trade him. 
you know, he's an RFA. So, I, but no, let's say the team is really interested in him and you say, Hey Vince, uh, uh, we'll uh, sign you to, you know, a one year, 1 million contract, or maybe the other, maybe the other team uh, uh, would agree to more because once he's traded, it's their cap money. So maybe he would. And maybe, and, Maybe if it's a chance to be a uh, top four, say a top four defenseman somewhere, maybe he says, yeah, sure, I'll do that. So, yeah, that, no, that, that's an interesting scenario. Uh, again, he, he, he'd have to be signed, but, uh, yeah, that's some, something to, to think about. Again, uh, I like and he's a guy that looks like he can score 10, 12 goals a year for you. But yeah, absolutely. if you want to keep Petro, you, you, you know, you're going to have to do something. Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the situation last year where you had Joel Edmondson that was an RFA, and then he had to be signed before he was sent to Carolina. And then mm -hmm. uh, one of the reasons the Blues pulled the trigger on the deal is because they worked out a deal with Falk for that extension. So maybe, right, right. So maybe, so maybe, maybe that might happen with Dunn. Mm -hmm. So let me let me throw let me throw this out to you guys and go down a, a little different path. And I I'm writing about this for Sunday. What if? Petro goes, but you don't have Tarasenko. You're missing a 33-plus goal scorer for each of the last five years before this injury. Do you try to free up money to get another scorer like uh, Taylor Hall, maybe? Who probably wants out of Arizona. I hadn't they, even uh, thought about that. Now it. I'm getting giddy. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, he probably wants out of Arizona because they have, like, zero draft picks now. Yeah. Uh, after their – and – they kind of, I don't know, you kind of get the sense that they got probably about as far as, as they could get. And I think a guy like Taylor Hall, he wants to win. Yeah. And maybe he, he, he wouldn't, it's not like he's going to come for free, but you know what I mean? Maybe he wouldn't break the bank to come to a, a team that's so close like the Blues. And so maybe, okay, Petro's left, mm -hmm. but we're, we're going to re-sign Dunn. We're going to be pretty good on defense, maybe not the same, but ah. Why don't we put Taylor Hall on our, our top line and, and still, you know, create some money to, to bring him back. And maybe you don't even have to, I don't know. Do you, well, maybe you don't even have to free up eight or nine or $10 million, whatever it would take for Petro. Well, just from observing the Arizona situation from a distance and we're, we're friends with our Arizona hosts on our hockey podcast network. I think there's a less than 5% chance Hall returns to Arizona. Cause number one, Arizona, really? okay. Arizona hmm. doesn't have any money. They're right up to the cap. You know, and they don't even have a GM, right? They don't, they don't have, have a GM. GM. Their GM walked out. They said, you know, he said, bye, Felicia to Arizona, and he's gone. Um, you have turmoil. You have, as you said, no draft picks. Um, Arizona is going to be a dicey situation maybe for at least a year or two until, you know, they get some – it's kind of like Minnesota was, you know, until Bill Guerin came in. It was just kind of a toxic mm -hmm. mess, you know, and that, that might be something that Taylor wants to avoid. Um, I was actually kind of wondering about that the other day because, you know, I know the Blues got by this year um, without having Tarasenko because other players stepped up like David Perron, for instance. And, you know, I, you know, we even raised the question, you know, uh, with, with, with Wags and I during the downtime is, you know, does this team even need Tarasenko? You know, because they, they were able to play so well and they were still the number one team in the West without him. Um, but at the same time, though, I mean, I, I still think that, you know, the Blues, they, they stretched to fill that void I, in a lot of ways, I feel. And if you have, if Petro goes, you know, number one, you're going to have a fan base that's going to be very concerned because Petro is such 
a big part of this organization, even offensively as well as defensively. And, yeah. And, oh, yeah. and so if you're blues, so if you're the blues and your, and your, your management's like, okay, Petro walks, but we have this money now. Taylor Hall seems like a good, a fairly good idea to me. I can, the only concern I have with Taylor Hall is that he's had one spectacular year and it's been surrounded by won the heart trophy that year, right? He won the, he won the heart, and, and then, but then if you look at the rest of his career, he's good. But yeah. is, is he 10 Maybe very good, but good? not like, yeah, not like a, maybe elite score type. I see your point. Yeah. I see your point. And, and here's the thing about the, about the, the blue scoring. 3.14 goals a game this year, their average. Their best since 94, 95. Yeah. But, yeah, is that – and we had a lot of players ex, either exceed last year's total or, in some cases, establish career highs, even in the shortened season. Is that kind of lightning? Is it going to strike twice? Or you know what I mean? Yeah. And but, but like the that. power play was better without Vladdy, and I think partly because they're less predictable when Vladdy's on that power play. It's like all the other players. We got to feed it to Vladdy. We got to feed it to Vladdy, and the other team knows that. Yeah. Where they were more, they were less predictable. Okay, Perron's going to get it sometimes, and then maybe it's going to go to O'Reilly this time, or Schwartz, or Shen, or whatever. But. Yeah, all things being equal, <laughs> you'd rather have the goal. So, yeah, I don't know. That, yeah, I, you're, you're entirely right, though. That's a great point that just because they did it one year, we're able to flourish and even be more productive without them. Certainly not a guarantee they can pull it off again. Well, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal wax under here because this was technically his question to ask, but this kind of leads into it. So, you know, the, the, I guess there's a thought process that, you know, maybe, you know, you, you lean on Cairo or Costin, you know, next year to maybe have them take that next step. But that's kind of a that's kind of that's a roll of the dice, especially if you're a team like the Blues, that's still going to be pretty competitive. So I don't know if you rely on them so much. So, you know, at, you know, going back to the looking outside the organization question. Uh, we posed a question on our Blue Notes Twitter this week and because we had heard that there's, you know, some rumors out of Toronto. Stop me if you've, if you've heard that. Oh, my before. God. There's always uh, rumors about Pareko. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, and, and Pareko's back in the news again. And um, I was talking to Tom Ackerman actually this morning about it. He had heard something like Pareko to Toronto for the 15th overall Andreas Janssen and uh, their prospect, Timothy Lilligren, who would be kind of like a you know, future replacement for, for Petro. But my thought process on Pareko is he is an ex- exceptional asset. He's got a reasonable contract for a player of his ability. He's young. He's big. He's got everything you want. Maybe not quite the tenacity you want in sometimes, but, you know. But he's, he's getting better at that. You know, he he's, he's never going to be Chris Pronger in that area, no. but he's, he's getting better. No. So you have this asset here, and you have this void that Tarasenko is leaving. And I'm thinking, if you're going to move Pareko, you need to get someone that you think could fill Tarasenko's shoes. So my question was, if Toronto came to you, you're, say you're Doug Armstrong, Toronto came to you and said, hey, we're interested in Colton Pareko, would you be interested in William Nylander? You know, one Ooh. of the big four and probably the one that they would of that big four that they would get rid of. You know, and I and I pose that question. This just says a you know, just just as a mm-hmm. scenario. I have nothing to back that up. It was very split. You know, I I asked really? yes, no, or depends on pieces, and it was about it was about right down the middle on each one. Really, okay. the, the fan yeah. base yeah. is pretty what's well, pretty divided on that. But getting to Pareko, you know, and and these rumors, do you see a scenario where Pareko has moved this off season for some offensive help? Well, I've 
quickly learn uh, that uh, Armstrong can be unpredictable and he can surprise you. So I never put anything past him, but I'm, if it's me, I'm, I'm not, I'm not getting rid of Pareko. And he's, what is he? He's only, I think he's only 25. Yeah. He's going to get you 10 goals a season. I certainly don't judge him on what we saw in Edmonton, especially knowing that COVID could very well have been a, uh, a factor. And this is, this is even if you keep Petro and my gosh, if you, if you, uh, they lose Petro. I mean, the, the backbone of this team is, has been from, from the back end up goalie and, and, and defense. And, and really as the season went on in terms of playing time, their role on the team, you know, Petro was one, but uh, Pareko was one a, so I cannot imagine a scenario where both Petro and Pareko would be gone. I would, I would, I would keep them uh, to a degree. You have to hope. And, and again, probably more likely than any Taylor Hall pipe dreams is that the blues will try to get by without Tarasenko and, and Armstrong said, because of the cap situation, it's not like we can go out and get a top top score. So any improvements going to have to come from within and, and there are a lot of young players who haven't hit their ceiling. I mean, uh, they're improving, but they're, they, they still have room to improve. I mean, play even Barbashev is, is still young. I think he's, he's 25, uh, done. Sanford, Thomas, and 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 Cairo. So all those guys could 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 get better. It was very clear in the Zoom calls that both Baruby and uh, Armstrong were were sending messages to both Mr. Robert Thomas, no relation, and George <laughs> Cairo, uh, who's Greek Orthodox like me. So we're, we're kind of bros that way. But anyway, uh, open invitations. Hey, with Tarasenko out. Here, we cordially invite you to take a spot on our top six, but you've, you've got to earn it. You've got to earn it. So the, the possibilities there, obviously, Cairo, sometimes the stuff he does is just flashes of greatness, and you go, wow. But he's, I think we all agree, he's got a much longer way to go than Thomas. Thomas took a big step this year, but they want him to take, you know, another step. And the, 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 if he takes another step and Baruby was very, and he usually is, very direct about pointing it out. He said he's got to be better conditioned, which I found that interesting. So he's got to uh, work on his 200-foot game, code word defense, right, and play away from the puck. And he says, look for your shot more. If you're, He's a great passer, but as teams know that he's a pass, a, a, an extremely pass-first guy, they're going to defend him that way. So he basically set out a uh, – kind of a roadmap for Thomas. And if he told us, I mean, they, they had exit meetings with all these guys. I'm sure he told Thomas that. So uh, there you have that. And with Cairo, it's a lot of it's played uh, away from the puck. And that's one thing, you know, being in the stadium, I mean, you could see away from the puck that what was the first game he played in up there? Was it Vancouver game three or game two? I don't remember. Wags, do you? Well, he was fantastic though. I mean, away from the puck, he was, he was, he was he was he was pesky. He was he was checking, and then and then battle on the walls to to get you know get in front of the net, even though he's he's not a big guy, and and scramble and 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 uh, you know obviously it's a trademark of Baruby, but you know all all the best players play the all around game, so he's he's got a longer way to go. And I, but I think Kyra wants to do it. Yeah, he's got he's got more of that scores mentality, but. I don't think he's unwilling to do that. He's just got to learn maybe w- what it takes a- in the NHL level. 
Yeah, and, and Thomas, of course, he's one of our favorite players. I mean, we both have the Blues retro, you know, Thomas jerseys, you know, in our collection for a reason. And they're both Thomases for a reason. And you, know, you hit up on a good point about Thomas and, and, and his offensive style. He's always going to be a playmaker. He's a fantastic my, he's got a fantastic vision. He's got some of the best hands in the NHL right now. I mean, you know, he just increased incredible stick handling. But there are times that I've noticed where Thomas will pass up really good shots to try to make a nice play or a nice pass. And sometimes, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But Thomas has a really good shot. And, you know, mm-hmm. he just, he just, he, he, and I'm with you, with you, Jim. He needs to crank it out a lot more. And I'm glad to see that Bruby's kind of pushing him that, that dimension because if he adds that to his game and then he, as you said, kind of adds that 200 foot game to, you know, you know, to, to his repertoire, you know, I don't see any reason why he's not in the top six next year. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think that's exactly the blueprint that he has to take. I think part of it early, uh, especially his first year was, here he is. He's with. He's playing on lines with O'Reilly. Maybe once in a while he's with uh, Perron, Chen, Schwartz, whoever it was, and he would defer to them too much. Uh, you know, he he was 18. You know, when he came there. But now, hey, Robert, you've been in the league twice. You've won a Stanley Cup. You know, you can play with the big boys. You don't have to necessarily uh, defer to them. And it's weird as sports writers, we we don't normally. Uh, give players advice or lecture, but I'm not the only one who said, Robert, you got to shoot the puck more. You know, he's, so he knows it and he'll always be a pass first guy, but he's got, he's got to look for a shot more. Like you say, yeah, he, he, he needs to work on his shot a little bit, but he's got a good enough shot. I yeah. think he could be a 15 to 25 goal scorer every year. You know, I don't, I don't think that it's a stretch to, 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 to say that. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Big off season for him, big off season for Cairo. A couple things to mention there. You know, when they say conditioning with Thomas, remember, he had the wrist. He underwent wrist surgery right after the cup final. Yep. So, okay, after a while he could skate, but he could never do the upper body work and the weightlifting because of the wrist. So his offseason was messed up. And Cairo, even more, remember, he had kneecap surgery. He wasn't even cleared until uh, uh, it was – after camp, he got sent out. He was down in San Antonio, still kind of rehabbing yeah. at the start of this season. And so he should have a full off season. So they need to take advantage of it. And one thing that both Baruby and Armstrong said is, hey, we know there's still a little bit of uncertainty about when the season is going to start. Yeah, the, the league has floated early December, but that's not set in stone. And with the, the COVID's unpredictable. They could end up moving it back. But he says, you, we cannot, and not just for those two guys, the whole team, we cannot kind of do this limbo, one foot in, one foot out in terms of conditioning. Take a couple, three weeks off, and then you guys have to get after it and get after it as if the season's going to start December 1st. They, they really want to make fitness a, a, a big thing and hold these players, uh, you know, accountable. And, again, it, it was tough sometimes to work out because you couldn't get to a gym or whatever, but now you, you can get to gyms. Yeah, most definitely. And uh, let's get into the, the thing that everybody wants to know about. It's still not going to happen for a while because obviously the season's still going on. But let's talk about Petro. Throughout the year, there's been like zero drama when it comes to his contract. They're playing it down on both sides. There's no negotiating in the media or anything like that. Where do things actually stand between these two sides? And ultimately, how do you see this playing out? Well, I, I think there were rumors that there was an offer from uh, Toronto right before the season. 
And uh, I mean, oh, I mean, I'm Toronto, I got Toronto on the brain. Offer from the Blues, and that that, that Petro uh, agents turned it down. I hear, I don't know personally because I'm just not familiar enough with the agent world of uh, of the NHL. That his his agents are kind of like the Scott Boris type that they they demand the, the highest contract possible. We know Armstrong definitely, when it comes to negotiations, play, plays it close to the vest. Normally, he doesn't like to negotiate during the season. But my experience, and this is even in the NFL, all the years in the NFL, and I think it translates, usually a player, when the season's done, the, and, and in this case, the postseason's done, and they still don't have a contract, at this, this late in the game, they want to at least look and see what's out there. So that's – and I could be totally wrong, but that's my, my, my gut. Petro, uh, in his Zoom call with us uh, the other day, he talked more and more, you know, about – it's the most he's ever said about it. And, you know, he said all the right things about how he, he wants he, – he's a very intelligent guy. He, he realizes his legacy here and all the things that would make this a, a, a good spot for him. But I thought other comments that maybe weren't played up as much in the media that he made showed that he's at least, he's got an open mind about this. You know, like I asked him, could you even imagine putting on another jersey? And he just basically said, yeah, it happens all the time. You know, and at the end of the day, this is a business decision. And, uh, you know, he was asked about uh, uh, being motivated to win a cup and, he, and, and, and uh, especially once you won it. And he said, oh, yeah, to come back and win one here would be great. But he also said, yeah, the challenge with an, another place would be to help a, help a team uh, – uh, you know, in another locale, win a cup. So I think he's approaching this with an open mind. And I personally, and I, I could be dead wrong. I'm I'm not as uh, optimistic about this as I was at the start. Now there are a million reasons why this makes all the sense in the world. Uh, he, he, you know, his chance as a legacy player in St. Louis, the first player from the Blues to ever hold up the cup. Uh, what he's accomplished here. The fact that his his in-laws are here and with triplets, you know, they need a little help with all those, with all those, and they get along great with the in-laws. And and so you have that as a pull here. And plus he told me at the all-star game that, uh, you know, the fit with Barubi has just been tremendous and really has allowed him to maximize his game. Now with all that on the plus side, why would you even, unless you were sure it was a good fit, no matter how much the money was, why would you want to risk going to another place? But again, I think he's got his ears open, and I think he's probably going to, you know, just kind of see what's out there. Yeah, he would be stupid not to. I mean, especially being able to possibly go back to close to where you grew up. If you're, if you're the guy that lifted the first cup in Blues history, and then you're the, the guy that helps bring the cup back to Toronto, if that's the case, I mean – Talk about legacy. That right there would cement him as a probably a, a Hall of Famer in, in most Yeah, yeah, it could eyes. be. Now, I will say this. You know, it's not exactly an automatic connection that players from the Toronto area want to play for Toronto. True. I've had players tell me that it's such a fishbowl up there. I mean, it's incredible. It's the hockey capital of the universe. They don't want to play in Toronto just because of that, because just everywhere they go, they're being looked and they're – and, and not that the St. Louis media is uncritical, but it's just not the same as being up there. All you have to do is walk into the uh, Toronto dressing room in a game up in Toronto, and it's like, where did all these media come from? I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, even when Toronto plays in here, 
at Enterprise, the, the St. Louis media, we're, we're outnumbered. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. So it's quite a fishbowl. You're under quite a microscope, and some players just don't want to deal with that. Yeah, there's a difference between how many retired players live in St. Louis and how many live in Toronto. So that, that's another part of it sure. as well. All right, final question. Say Petro leaves. Who replaces him as captain? There's a lot of support out there for Ryan O'Reilly. Is that the go-to guy, or is there somebody else that could take over if Petro leaves? I think you got to go with O'Reilly because you're two alternates. One, Alexander Steen, and God bless him, but he, you know, he's he's near the very tail end of his career. And the other one, Tarasenko, is not going to be on the ice. So I think O'Reilly would be a a, a good one. I, I think. Uh, if need be, Shen, Shen, Braden Shen, maybe in line for an alternate, you know, something like that. But O'Reilly makes all this, and even even Perron, as emotional as he can be, uh, he, boy, does he care! And I know he'll commit the stupid penalty now and then, but he is feisty. He's competitive, and he cares. He'll give give you everything he can. So I, I, I maybe I'm leaving somebody out, but I, I think in terms of possible alternates and can, I think O'Reilly makes all the sense in the world, though. Yeah, Perron would make a really good, a lot of sense as an alternate as well because he's been with this franchise for so many years, you know, of course, on and off, but he keeps coming back, um, you know. The, the, you know and he gets better with every uh, incarnation. It, exactly. I mean, you know, I don't know what – I mean, I know in Vegas, I think part of the reason why he's become such a great offensive shooting threat is because he's, he switched sticks. You know, you know, Jonathan Marcheseau yeah. gave him a more flexible stick and kind of mm-hmm. like the rest is history. But, you know, the other <laughs> thing that kind of stands out to me about Perron since he's come back – and I just got just observing him, you know, like after the games, you know, like in the in the locker room and just, you know, talking with fans while he's still a very fun guy. And he's he's a reporter's dream because he's a great soundbite and he actually mm-hmm. likes talking to the media. He's been teasing us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's also matured a lot, you know, and, and I think that was like one thing that was holding him back, you know, for a lot of his career was his, you know, he was a little immature. Interesting. Yeah, that's obviously before my time, but I, I, I do recall tales of uh, white, uh, white skates and whatnot. So. <laughs> Was well, it, were they white skates or gold skates? Oh, they were white, white skates. They were white skates. Okay. Yeah, they white yeah. skates. Crazy. So he has matured, huh? Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, he seems to really have matured. I mean, like I know when he was, when he started out, Wags, and you can kind of attest to this. He was a lot feistier. You know, he still he still, as you said, you know, commits the dumb penalty. That's kind of a tradition of his. But uh, I mean, I, I think it's pretty obvious to me, Wags, that he's uh, as age has matured him a little bit. Well, yeah, I mean, you gotta this. you gotta remember he was on like on the kid line with Oshie and Berglund, so it's it's three kids in their late teens, early twenties playing hockey together. They're they're yeah. all gonna be like that. But I tell you what, when he went to Pittsburgh and got to play with Sidney Crosby and got to really see what work ethic looked like and what it took to win, I think that was the the, the turning point in his career. Uh, he may not have shown it when he came back to St. Louis a second time, but he did improve. But I tell you that time with Crosby, and I am a Crosby hater. And I will give Crosby all the credit in the world for basically making Perron the player that he is today. He's uh, made several references to Crosby, and he actually brought his name up uh, during uh, Perron's a little uh, uh, end of season uh, uh, interview with us. So yeah, he 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 must think highly of the guy. Jim, great conversation. Uh, loved having you on. Um, of course, you know, if, if you're listen, listening or watching, you should always read Jim Thomas's stuff. But uh, anything you got coming out that uh, we should pay uh, particular attention to? Anything you want to plug? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm working on, as I mentioned, the kind of the uh, season-ending thing for Sunday. And then in September, I'm going to kind of disappear. So uh, 
I'll be back. I'll be back in October, though. Now, are you, are you, are you going to stay in town, or are you going to try to? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going anywhere, but just get some uh, time off, walk the dogs, you know, maybe do a couple chores. I'm, yeah, you, I'm you pretty your, worthless around the house, though. You had your fun in Edmonton already. I mean, oh yeah, I can, I can replace that. Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> Right. Hey, it was the experience of a lifetime. Guys, this was a blast. It was a lot of fun. Absolutely. And and uh, we'd love to have you again on uh, sometime in the future. I know Wags has uh, his own podcast that delves into all St. Louis sports called Crunch Time. I'm sure he'd love to have you on that as well. Oh, most definitely. We're actually expanding our coverage into Canada very, very soon. So hockey's going to become a huge part uh, of our show. So we would love to have you on as well. Well, that's a tease. I didn't, I didn't even know that. <laughs> it's still in the works. It's still in the works. We're not there yet, but we're getting close. Wow. How about man. that? And we're, 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 going, we're going global here. That's amazing. <laughs> um, all righty, Jim, thank you so much for being on. And uh, Jim Thomas, everyone, St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Blues Beat writer, and uh, a guy that is, you know, covered the Rams for many years and is sick of Stan Kroenke's shit. So, you know, he gets to talk about, uh, um, you know, something better, and that is, that is Blues hockey. So always a fun having him on. We got to pay some bills, and then we'll wrap up Blue Notes right after this. This episode of the Blue Notes podcast is sponsored by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming, offering precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Got a crazy bush? You know if you trim your hedges your tree stands taller. Have you ever wished she was smoother down there? She probably has too. If you're anything like me and or just not a neurosurgeon with a steady hand, you probably neglect below the belt. Manscaped has us covered. Millions of balls are about to be nick free thanks to Manscaped advanced skin safe technology. Manscaping accidents are finally a thing of the past. Whew. One of the coolest features is the LED light, which illuminates growing areas for closer and more precise trimming. That's insane. If you're listening to me speak right now, you're one of the first people to hear about this life-changing product, and I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off plus free shipping when you use the promo code THPN at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping again with promo code THPN at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com when you use the promo code THPN. The best in men's below the belt grooming. And welcome back to Blue Notes. Jim Thomas, what a conversation. I mean, we spent over an hour with him and, uh, uh, it was very insightful, you know, especially just talking about life in, in Edmonton and uh, no, it's not like Stockholm syndrome wags. You know, it's uh, it was, a, it, it was, it wasn't, it was, he wasn't held under a hostage. He wasn't held as a hostage or anything like that. He, it sounded like he had a, he, he had a lot of fun and he made the most of it. Yeah, he really did. And, and like you said, in the interview, it's, it's not like it was his first time in Edmonton and in that hotel. So he kind of knew a little bit about, you know, what he was getting into and who was up there and, it just kind of strengthened those relationships and, and made it feel more like a family, which if we're all honest, that's what the NHL is like for us. You know, hockey is a family and that's exactly what they experienced up in Edmonton. Yes, it was a little difficult, but at least you had some familiarity and the ability to kind of be comfortable in a sense, although the blues didn't really look all that comfortable when they were up there, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was, yeah. It, it was, it was good. And it, it was just really great to get that insight and really understand what it was like even if it wasn't from a player, but someone that was actually experiencing it. 
Yeah, by the way, good news. I don't need shoulder surgery after all. So uh, we, can, we can breathe a sigh of relief on my uh, reach there. You, um, you sure you don't want a second opinion? Because, I mean. No, it's okay. I, I think I'm good. I think I'm good. I think just a lot of, uh, a lot, a lot of Tylenol and I'll be fine. But um, speaking of reaches, we're going to reach out across the ocean to our friend Gerard, the Dutch Blues fan, um, you know, who took note of the fact that the Blues had 20% of their roster uh, that had COVID before uh, the return to play. And uh, he, he posted a video on Twitter this week, and uh, he's, um, he's not very happy. And he's not happy about the Blues getting COVID or anything like that. He's a little unhappy with the response from some fans that are trying to uh, turn it into something that's funny or you know, trying to make fun of it. Uh, you know what? He can say it a lot better than I can. So let's go ahead and play the video. But I make a short message because I'm a little bit annoyed. Um, you don't see me annoyed often, and it doesn't even have to do with uh, the Blues being out of the playoffs. But um, Army said uh, 20% of the St. Louis Blues roster had COVID before the playoffs and suffered from it from the consequences uh, during the play in the bubble. Uh, that says a lot about certain players and why they couldn't uh, play up to their normal level. Um, but here's the thing, and all, all over Twitter I read people's comments about this statement by Armstrong. Um, I mean, it's, it's not fair to say that the Blues use it as an excuse. That doesn't make any sense because no player and no coach has uh, talked about it yet. If they wanted to use it as an excuse, they could have done right away. Uh, they didn't. They all said we were not good enough, so they looked in the mirror and were self-critical uh, of themselves. And I don't know why people joke around about this stuff, because I don't know how it's in the U.S. Uh, as far as I know, it's pretty serious there uh, the last couple of months, the whole COVID thing. Well, I can tell you in this country it was pretty serious as well. It still is. Um, but those people who joke around about it, um, I don't care if you're not a Blues fan, you just don't do that. Because I don't know what you've been doing then in the last couple of months, but maybe you should see some videos from ICUs in Europe, in Italy, in Spain, here in the Netherlands. You should hear what people have to say who work in the, those capacities. I know one person who has died from COVID. I know several persons who have suffered severe consequences, so it's nothing to joke around of. And um, it's, uh, it's sad that some players had it, and it annoys me that people joke about it. So we're not being sore losers. Uh, COVID is no joking. Uh, it's a fact, and it's good that they addressed it. All right, Gerard, some, some wisdom from the uh, Netherlands here. And you can just tell, Wags, that this was an issue that, that affected him personally. And I agree with him 100%. You know, these are still human lives we're talking about here. And, you know, it's, it, it's, you know I know sometimes we, some people laugh to, you know, try to, you know, make the pain go away, if you will, because it's been a rough year. You know, we try to find the light in things. This is not something you should find any light out of. And I, I agree with Gerard. Yeah, I 100% agree with him as well. I mean, the fact that he's kind of had a personal connection to it and had someone that he knew pass away from it, has talked to people that are in the ICU and, and nurses and doctors that have had to experience this and go through it, 
that, that's the biggest thing. I mean, yes, we knew the Blues had COVID before the bubble situation happened anyway. You know, they, they were up front with it. They had four players that tested positive, and, and that's what happened. And it just goes to show you how difficult it is to come back from this. Um, and that, I think we're seeing that in all sports for teams that have had guys that have been positive that are not asymptomatic but actually have symptoms. It's really, really difficult to get through this. And, you know, whatever side of the political spectrum you fall on, it shouldn't matter because you see exactly what's going on with this. You see it in the news every day and have an outside perspective. And that outside perspective sees the same exact thing. That just goes to show you that it's real. And yeah. it's difficult to come back with. So, yeah, there's no reason to make light of the situation. Don't use it as an excuse. It, it is what it is. And you should be proud of the fact that they went out there and they still busted their asses in this playoff bubble just to even go there and participate with the symptoms that they had. Amen. And not only that, but it's just like, I don't know anyone personally that has had COVID-19, like at least someone I, I consider like a super close friend or like, you know, a super close relative. But I know uh, others that have had it, you know, a couple people at my work have had it and, and have survived and gotten better from it. But, you know, to hear their experiences, you know, it, 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 this is no cakewalk. I mean, one, one, one guy at work that I, that, that I talked to that got it like very early in this pandemic, you know, he said he would rather have 10 flus than one more bout with COVID-19. That's how bad it is. And it's, it's rough stuff and it's nothing to make fun of. And I guess it just, you know, all boils down to, you know, one simple mantra that I always say and what everyone should be saying, wear a mask, wear a mask. I mean, even if it doesn't prevent COVID 100%, you know, if it prevents it even just a little bit, if it gets us any closer to seeing blues games in person again, perish the thought. But if it gets us any closer to that or some or way the way life was before, you know, mid-March of this year, uh, I'm down for it. Let's do it. Let's let, let's get this thing done. Let's get it out, you know, behind us. Let's do everything we can to get back to normal and not, you know, being sarcastic and, you know, laughing at others plight about it like some people do on the Internet. Let's just wear a mask. Let's get this done. Let's get this over with. So some wise words. Wise words from Gerard, whose own country has battled COVID, seems to be winning the battle with it, and some very good perspective and much-needed perspective. Uh, so thank you very much, Gerard, for letting us play your video. And uh, thank you for uh, watching this episode of Blue Notes. Wags, any final thoughts? Just once again, uh, going back to don't panic. Uh, <laughs> something's going to happen with Petrangelo. We're going to be fine regardless of what happens. Uh, but don't expect anything anytime soon. But like I said, just be okay. It's not the end of the world. Just be happy. And as Bill and Ted say, be excellent. Exactly. Be excellent to each other. That's, that, so, and that's especially important today. Um, speaking of being excellent to each other, uh, Trainwreck could not make it for this episode. He's dealing with a, a bit of a family emergency. So any thoughts and prayers you can uh, send down, down the river to New Orleans. I'm sure he would appreciate it a lot. Hopefully we get him back on Blue Notes next week. But in the meantime, that is going to do it. I want to thank you for listening because without you, there is no me, there is no WAGS, and there is no train wreck, and there is no Blue Notes and no Hockey Podcast Network. I'm Tom Franklin reminding you to not be a chump, always play to the whistle, and wear your mask.
You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at the hockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from.